Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a dirty martini. What do you have, Del? I am drinking a watermelon heart seltzer, and in this week's episode, we will be looking at several cases of rap artists who were murdered. Multiple studies have found that murder, specifically shootings, are the cause of 50% of all rapper deaths. Studies have shown that rap artists have a homicide rate 5 to 32 times percent higher than other genres of music. Many of these stats can be linked to the background, including gang activity of the artists. While we focused on Biggie and Tupac in previous episodes, and there are older murders in the hip-hop community, today we are going to look at some of the most recent murders, including those of King Von, Pop Smoke, and Young Dolph. Starting with King Von, who was born Davon Bennett in Chicago, Illinois, on August 8, 1994. Growing up the son of a known gang leader, King Von was surrounded by the trappings of the gang lifestyle. Vaughn grew up in the Parkway Gardens, known as the WIC, or W-I-I-C. It was later renamed to O-Block after the murder of O.D. Perry. O-Block is known for its gang activity, with the Black Disciples Gang, or BDs, having control of the area. Their rivals are the Gangster Disciples, or GDs, which control 63rd Street and the area of Tukaville which was also named after a murdered gang member. The history between these gangs is extensive, and I recommend watching Trapdoor Ross for an in-depth review of O'Block versus Tukaville, including the numerous murders that have happened during this Chicago gang war. What we are going to focus on is how this gang activity shaped King Ron and led to him allegedly being involved in at least seven murders, including allegedly orchestrating a hit on one of his biggest rivals, F.R.G. Duck. King Von used his music to talk about his upbringing and used a storytelling method to bring listeners into his world. Stories such as Crazy Story and Took Her to the O help establish King Von as one of the premier drill artists out of Chicago, aided by his friendship with Lil Durk and other established Chicago rappers. Unfortunately, while Von did have his friends in the industry, he also created enemies. One of these was Baton Rouge rapper NBA Youngboy. On an Instagram Live, Vaughn was listening to Youngboy and repeatedly stated there were caps or lies in his raps. Both rappers then proceeded to have suggestive posts that alluded to the fact that they may have been involved with the other's partner. Youngboy went on to release a song with Vaughn's on and off again girlfriend, Asian Doll, which Vaughn tweeted was trash. Vaughn then posted pictures of him holding the hand of Youngboy's child's mother, Jania. While this seems like a petty back and forth, it led to deadly consequences for Vaughn. On November 6, 2020, King Vaughn was performing in Atlanta, Georgia. Instead of going to his Airbnb, Vaughn headed to the Monaco Lounge without warning his security detail. Once he arrived, Vaughn spotted Quando Rondo, who is affiliated with NBA Youngboy. Vaughn proceeded to punch Quando and began attacking him. In response, a member of Quando's team, Lil Tim, shot Vaughn five times. 
Vaughn's team rushed him to the hospital, but at the age of 26, King Vaughn lost his life. Lilton was arrested, but later released and has been cleared of criminal charges on the grounds of self-defense. The next case is that of Pop Smoke. Born Bashar Jackson on July 20th, 1999 in Brooklyn, New York, Pop Smoke is often credited with bringing the Chicago drill sound to New York. We will discuss drill music in more detail later in this episode. Jackson started playing basketball as a point and shooting guard. Pop Smoke relocated to Philadelphia to enroll in Rock Top Academy. He was later forced to leave after being diagnosed with a heart murmur and Jackson eventually turned to street life. He has been tied to the Crips gang and the police also tried to pressure Jackson into telling them more information about the Crips, GS9, and other Brooklyn street gangs, but he refused to talk. He first attempted rapping during a 2018 visit to a Brooklyn recording studio with Jay Guapo. His second mixtape, Meet the Woo 2, was released on February 7th, 2020, and debuted at number 7 on the Billboard 200, becoming the rapper's first top 10 project in the U.S. On February 19th, 2020, Jackson was renting a house through Airbnb owned by the Real Housewives star Teddy Mellencamp and her husband in Hollywood Hills, California. According to Zoe Haylock at Vulture, the day before his murder, Pop Smoke and his friend Michael Gerodula posted several images on social media, including one in which Mellencamp's home address can be seen in the background. The rapper also posted a story on Instagram and Facebook of gifts he had received. One showed the house's full address on the packaging, giving out its location. At around 4.30 a.m., five hooded men, including one wearing a ski mask and carrying a handgun, broke into the house through a second-story balcony. The intruders held a gun to a woman's head and threatened to kill her. The woman then heard the man shoot Pop Smoke three times after an altercation. The LAPD received news of the home invasion from a call from the East Coast. Police arrived at the home six minutes later and found Jackson with multiple gunshot wounds. He was rushed to Cedar sinai Medical Center, where doctors performed a thoracotomy on the left side of his chest. A few hours later, he was pronounced dead at the age of 20 years. The LAPD at first suspected that Jackson's death was gang-related as he was tied to the Crips or Hoover criminal gang. However, the LAPD later believed his death was the consequence of a home robbery gone wrong. It was believed the intruders stole Jackson's gold watch and other jewelry before running away from the house. In May 2021, a 15-year-old, the youngest of the four intruders, allegedly admitted to killing Jackson over a diamond-studded Rolex during a recorded interview with a cellmate at a juvenile detention center. The 15-year-old told the cellmate that Jackson at first complied with their request for jewelry, but then tried to fight them, and a confrontation broke out in which Jackson was pistol-whipped and shot with a Beretta M92. The intruders made off with his Rolex, which they sold for $2,000. On July 9th, 2020, three adult men and two minors were arrested for the murder of the rapper. One of the adult suspects has been charged with murder with a special circumstance that alleged the killing was committed, quote, during the commission of a robbery and a burglary, end quote, and another charged with attempted murder. The two juveniles were charged with murder and robbery in juvenile court. The final example we will look at is Young Dolph. He was born Adolf Thornton Jr. on July 27, 1985 in Chicago, Illinois, with his family moving to Memphis, Tennessee when Dolph was two years old. 
He was raised by his grandmother due to his parents' crack addiction. Starting at the age of 16, he turned to the streets as a source of income. In 2008, due to encouragement from his friends, Young Dolph released his first mixtape, Paper Route Campaign. Seeing its local popularity, he decided to fully invest himself into rap. On July 8, 2014, Young Dolph released the fourth installment of the high-class street music series, American Gangster. This mixtape included the song Preach, which received nationwide fame, as well as features from Gucci Mane, Two Chains, Fiend, Trinidad James, Shy Glizzy, Trey The Truth, Problem, and Cat One. Thornton was shot outside a retail store in Hollywood, Los Angeles on September 26, 2017. He was listed in critical condition at the hospital, but within a few hours, doctors reported that he was expected to survive. He spent two weeks in the hospital recovering from three gunshot wounds. Young Dolph's seventh album, Rich Slave, was released on August 14, 2020. It was preceded by the singles Blue Diamonds, R&B featuring Meg the Stylin, and Death Row. Young Dolph explained the album's title stating, quote, it's the reality of being Black in this country, end quote. Rich Slave was Young Dolph's highest charting album, peaking at fourth on the Billboard 200. On November 17, 2021, Thornton was fatally shot in Memphis while visiting Makita's homemade butter cookies, a bakery he frequently visited whenever he was back home. Two gunmen and a white two-door Mercedes-Benz gunned him down. An autopsy revealed that Thornton had 22 gunshot wounds from bullet entries and exits. Some wounds were sustained in the forehead and back. Tennessee House Representative London Lamar and Memphis Councilman J.B. Smiley reacted by calling for a curfew in Memphis to prevent civil unrest and violence. On January 5, 2022, police identified one of the suspects responsible for the murder as 23-year-old Justin Johnson and issued a first-degree murder warrant. Another suspect, 32-year-old Cornelius Smith, was arrested for the theft of the car used in Dolph's murder, and he was indicted on first-degree murder, weapons possession, and theft charges on January 11. That same day, Johnson was captured by police in Indiana after law enforcement received over 500 tips leading to his arrest. 27-year-old Shandell Barnett, a passenger of the vehicle Johnson was driving was also arrested. On January 12th, Johnson and Smith were indicted on first-degree murder and other criminal charges, while Barnett was charged with being a quote-unquote after-the-fact accessory. On November 10th, 2022, a third suspect was indicted for the murder of Young Dolph and the conspiracy to murder Dolph, 43-year-old Hernandez Govan, who is alleged to have ordered the murder of Young Dolph. Online sleuths have frequently linked the Trilla Mafia to Young Dolph's murder. In June 2023, Jamarcus Johnson reached a plea deal where he pled guilty to three counts of accessory after the fact in exchange for his conspiracy to murder charge being dropped. He is expected to testify against the other suspects at their upcoming trials. Jenny, what are your thoughts on the murders of King Von, Pop Smoke, and Young Dolph? I didn't know about any of this going into it. And to hear how young everyone was is so heartbreaking. You know, like these men had 
a career ahead of them. Who knows what they would have accomplished. Even in their short careers, it seemed like they were quite successful with how far, you know, on the charts their albums were. I'm sure they were streamed a lot, which is obviously like a sign of success. And then to also hear how young the people involved in these crimes are is really upsetting too. With Pop Smoke, I mean, it seems like obviously it's not smart to put the address out there. Maybe it sounds like he probably didn't realize he was doing that. And then look what happened. He's just trying to like live his life, maybe celebrate his success. And then people have to go in there and try to take advantage of it. And look what it turned into. Somebody's dead. And a 15 year old is responsible for that. It's disgusting. And then with young Dolph, you know, he's just trying to live his life too, trying to, you know, enjoy himself at home get a snack and people have to go after him for whatever reason, just because there's beef. It doesn't make any sense. It's just so upsetting. And like you said, we have talked about this with Tupac and Biggie, the pettiness there. And then we talked about it with King Von. Like there was a lot of pettiness between these two men too. King Von. And then between these men, it's, it's just the same old, same old with, beefs between rappers you know talking about like you're i'm with your woman now whatever we see that all the time and that's it's just upsetting to see this pettiness escalate and look what it turned into somebody's dead now there's nothing to say like it's it's just so upsetting that it has to turn into this that people have to make these like rash decisions what do you think i definitely agree with you and It's one of the things where, sure, sometimes you can try to place the blame on, like, the upbringing and how they were kind of raised to deal with problems. But when you look at some of these cases, that clearly wasn't what happened. You know, Pop Smoke made a mistake that I'm sure many people have made, where you are just enjoying yourself and you upload to social media in real time where you're at, you know, not thinking that anything negative is going to come after it. I think it's a shame that a person, someone that was inspiring his community, especially the younger individuals in his community to do better, that they didn't have to fall into crime and gangs. And he was killed over $2,000. Like, they took someone's life. They took away other people's inspiration for $2,000. And like you said, these are very young people, 15 years old. Someone who is so young that they are going to juvenile detention centers as a murderer. And that's something that he's going to have to you know, have on his conscience for the rest of his life. And when it comes to young Dolph, who is known not to be a gang member, but just the environment growing up around gangs, obviously, even if you don't do anything to provoke them, just the nature of them being gangs, they always want to try to stiffen off of the individuals that have become successful in their community. And this is something that happened to Dolph in his case. And the fact that allegedly the Trilla Mafia concocted this whole scheme to kill this one individual because 
he didn't want to join them. He didn't want to have anything to do with them. It's sad. And not to mention, as you know, I get into talking about King Vaughn, these are fathers. So a lot of people talk about fatherlessness and stuff like that, but we need to talk about why they're not there. They're being killed. And so when it comes to King Vaughn, who out of all three of the cases, there was definitely a lot more activity on his part um, that led up to the events, um, which resulted in his death. But notwithstanding that, his environment in Chicago and the different gang wars that were going on is just absolutely insane. Like I mentioned Trap War Ross, there's a lot of other research into this and different, you know, YouTube videos and articles that I definitely recommend people look at because it was just a game of tit for tat. And it was something where when people look at the circumstances that led to his death, which was his very petty back and forth with a young boy that, you know, resulted in him punching Quando Rondo, a lot of people were saying things like, we're surprised that this is the thing that led to the end of his life. Something else that's very prevalent in this gang war as well that we really didn't touch on is the amount of disrespect that happens in these gang wars when someone has been murdered. So unfortunately, in this case, you had a lot of people back in Chicago who celebrated the fact that he had now passed because of the alleged murders that he was involved in. And they would use the term that they were smoking on such and such as a level of disrespect. And this was definitely seen in the King Von case as well. Like you said, all three of these cases, you know, irregardless of the individual circumstances of their deaths, it's sad. And unfortunately, it's something that has been a recurring issue in just hip hop and rap. And we're going to talk about drill music more later, but it's definitely something where the more aggressive the music tends to be, especially the lyrics, uh, the more violent of an end that these individuals uh, face. One of the topics that come up frequently when looking at the deaths of rap artists is gang affiliation. Many artists have been associated with gangs from prior to their rap career with their connection to the gang remaining even as they climb the charts. We are going to look at a brief history of gangs and their defining characteristics. A gang is a group or society of associates, friends, or members of a family with a defined leadership and internal organization that identifies with or claims control over territory and a community and engages either individually or collectively in illegal and possibly violent behavior. While the term often refers specifically to criminal groups, it also has a broader meaning of any close or organized group of people and may have neutral, positive, or negative connotations depending on usage. The 17th century saw London, quote-unquote, terrorized by a series of organized gangs, some of them known as the Mims, Hectors, Bugles, and Dead Boys. These gangs often came into conflict with each other. Members dressed, quote, with colored ribbons to distinguish the different fractions, end quote. 
Criminal societies in the underworld started to develop their own ranks and groups, which were sometimes called families and were often made up of lower classes and operated on pickpocketry, prostitution, forgery and counterfeiting, commercial burglary, and money laundering schemes. Unique also were the use of slang and argos used by Victorian criminal societies to distinguish each other, like those propagated by street gangs like the Peaky Blinders. In the United States, the history of gangs began on the East Coast in 1783 following the American Revolution. Gangs arose further in the United States by the middle of the 19th century and were a concern for city leaders from the time they appeared. The emergence of gangs was largely attributed to the vast rural population immigration to the urban areas. The first street gang in the United States, the 40 Thieves, began around the late 1820s in New York City. The gangs in Washington, D.C. had control of what is now Federal Triangle in a region then known as Murder Bay. Outside of the U.S. and the U.K., gangs exist in both urban and rural forms, like the Apache Sand, the Banal Gang. Many criminal organizations like the Italian Cosa Nostra, Japanese Yakuza, Russian Bratva, and Chinese triads have existed for centuries. Gangs, syndicates, and other criminal groups come in many forms, each with their own specialities and gang culture. One of the most infamous criminal gangs are mafias, whose activities include racketeering and overseeing illicit agreements. These include the Sicilian Cosa Nostra and the Italian America Mafia. Narcos, or drug cartels are slang terms used for criminal groups, primarily Latin Americans, who primarily deal with the illegal drug trade. These include drug cartels like the Medellin cartel and other Colombian cartels, Mexican cartels like the Sinaloa cartel and Los Zetas, and the Primarero Commando de Capital in Brazil. Street gangs are gangs formed by youth in urban areas and are known primarily for street fighting and gang warfare. Some of the well-known gangs are the Bloods and the Crips, also the Vice Lords and the Gangster Disciples. Other gangs include the Serranos, Asian Boys, Zopound, the Latin Kings, the Hammerskins, Nazi Lowriders, and Blood and Honor. Law enforcement gangs are criminal organizations that form and operate within law enforcement agencies. Members have been accused of significant department abuses of policy and constitutional rights, terrifying the general population, intimidating their colleagues, and retaliating against whistleblowers. Leaders are called quote-unquote shot callers, control many aspects of local policing, including promotions, scheduling, and enforcement. They operate in the gray area of law enforcement, perpetuate a culture of silence, and promote a mentality of Punisher-style retaliation. Biker gangs are motorcycle clubs who conduct illegal activity. The Hells Angels, the Pagans, the Outlaws, and the Bandidos are known as the Big Four in the United States. Prison gangs are formed inside prisons and correctional facilities for mutual protection and entrancement, like the Mexican Mafia and United Blood Nation. Prison gangs often have several, quote-unquote, affiliates or chapters in different state prisons that branch out due to the movement or transfer of their members. Although the majority of gang leaders from Chicago are now incarcerated, most of those leaders continue to manage their gangs from within prison. 
Contemporary organized crime has also led to the creation of anti-gang groups, vigilante gangs, and auto defenses, who are groups who profess to be fighting against gang influence, but share characteristics and acts similar to a gang. These include groups like the Los Pepes, Sombra Negra, Friends Stand United, People Against Gangsterism and Drugs, and OG Imba. Different gangs and criminal syndicates have various roles and members. Boss, known in some groups as Leader, Elder, Don, Oyabun, or Original Gangster, is the one who has control over the movement, plans, and actions of a gang. Gang leaders are the upper echelons of the gang's command. Often they distance themselves from the gang activities and make attempts to appear legitimate, possibly operating a business that they run as a front for the gang's drug dealing or other illegal operations. Underboss is the second in command of the gang. Captain is the one who issues the commands from the boss or underboss to the gangsters. Captain is responsible for the activities in the field of the recruitment of new members. Gangsters, also known as soldiers, are the typical gang members who commit the activities of the gang. Associates are known also as gang affiliates or hangarounds, and they are people who are not full members of the gang, but either support and participate in the activities of a gang or have livelihoods tied to gang activities. Women associated with gangs, but who lack membership, are typically categorized based on their relation to gang members. A survey of Mexican-American gang members and associates define these categories as girlfriends, hood rats, hood girls, and relatives. Different gangs from around the world have their way of recruiting and introducing new members. Most criminal gangs require an interested candidate to commit a crime to be inducted into a gang. Many street gangs like the Bloods and MS-13 have a ritual where they would beat up, also known as beat in or jump in, aspiring applicants for several seconds to show their toughness, willingness, and loyalty. Some of these gangs allow women to become members either through being jumped in or more likely having sex with male members, known as being sexed in. The United Nations estimates that gangs make most of their money through the drug trade, which is thought to be worth $352 billion in total. Cocaine is the primary drug of distribution by gangs in America, which have used the cities of Chicago, Cape Town, and Rio de Janeiro to transport drugs internationally. The United States Department of Justice estimates there are approximately 30,000 gangs with 760,000 members impacting 2,500 communities across the United States. Gangs are involved in all areas of street crime activities like extortion, drug trafficking, both in and outside the prison system, and theft. Gangs also victimize individuals by robbery and kidnapping. Street gangs take over territory or quote-unquote turf in a particular city and are often involved in quote-unquote providing protection, often a thin cover for extortion as the quote-unquote protection is usually from the gang itself or in other criminal activity. Gang violence refers mostly to the illegal and non-political acts of violence perpetrated by gangs against civilians, other gangs, law enforcement officers, firefighters, or military personnel. A gang war is a type of small war that occurs when two gangs end up in a feud over territory or vendetta. Gang warfare mostly consists of sanctioned and unsanctioned hits, street fighting, and gun violence. 
Women in gang culture are often in environments where sexual assault is common and considered to be a norm. Women who attend social gatherings and parties with heavy drug and alcohol use are particularly likely to be assaulted. A girl who becomes intoxicated and flirts with men is often seen as quote-unquote asking for it and is written off as a quote-unquote hoe by men and women. Quote-unquote hood rats and girls associated with rival gangs have lower status at these social events and are victimized when members view them as fair game and other women rationalize assault against them. Gangs often establish distinctive characteristic identifiers, including graffiti tags, colors, hand signals, clothing, for example, the gangster rap type hoodies, jewelry, hairstyles, fingernails, slogans, signs, such as the noose and the burning cross as the symbols of the clan, flags, secret greetings, slurs, or code words and other group-specific symbols associated with the gang's common beliefs, rituals, and mythologies to define and differentiate themselves from other groups and gangs. Most gang members have identifying characteristics which are unique to their specific clique or gang. The Bloods, for instance, wear red bandanas, the Crips blue, allowing these gangs to quote-unquote represent their affiliation. Any disrespect of a gang member's color by an unaffiliated individual is regarded as grounds for violent retaliation, often by multiple members of the offended gang. Tattoos are also common identifiers, such as an 18 above the eyebrow to identify a member of the 18th Street Gang. The internet is one of the most significant media used by gangs to communicate in terms of size of the audience they can reach with minimal effort and reduced risk. Social media provides a forum for recruitment activities, typically provoking rival gangs through derogatory postings and to glorify their gang and themselves. Before we discuss the law's response to gangs, Jenny, what are your overall thoughts? I think it's so interesting to talk about i feel like there are like stereotypical ideas of like what you think a gangster is who you think they are and to me it's really interesting that like in every culture around the world there's gangs no society culture whatever you want to say is free of like organized violence and crime which i think is interesting we mentioned the lat. There are so many. I mean, to hear that there's like an estimated thirty thousand gangs in the country right now is wild, and to hear like all the different types of gangs from prison biker gangs to street gangs, it's easy to see why so many people are affiliated with gangs. Like why people would want to join a gang. We kind of we talked about this before, like gangs going after and recruiting younger, vulnerable people, sometimes making them do like, I don't want to say the dirty work, but like things that if someone was older that did it, they would get in more serious trouble for just I guess the organization that is involved in maintaining order in the gang and whatever your turf is is so fascinating. And we've kind of talked about this before. I wish people that did have these, like, I don't want to say street smarts necessarily, but like this kind of like organization and like aptitude with like bad things. I wish people could just turn that into like good things within society. Um, I know we talked about that within really, I think in relation to like prison ingenuity, but I think it's so interesting to talk 
about all of this. What are your thoughts? I definitely agree with you. I think that when looking at what's the main difference between like a drug dealer and a pharmacist, for me, it's a college degree. It's not that these individuals are not intelligent or they're just like born bad. It's just that the circumstances of their life and their environment has led them to believe that this is the best way that they can not only earn an income, but also just protect themselves. And a lot of these areas, especially when you look at uh, street gangs, sometimes it's not even that the individual wants to join the gang. It's that either they're pressured into it by a familial relationship with the gang already, or they were being targeted by another gang and they figured the best way is to just join them because at least that way they'll have some backup and not that I'm justifying it but you know it makes sense if you're being targeted you're gonna want something that will add a layer of protection and just try to make sure that your life is safe when thinking about the number of gangs, it's always so wild to actually just hear that because, of course, you have the ones that everyone has probably heard of, you know, the mafia, the bloods, the crips, you know, the different cartels. But I think something that's also interesting is how they are interlinked with each other. While, you know, we talked about gang wars, sometimes it's the fact that, okay, well, this gang is now affiliated with this one. And so what started out as like a small problem between two gangs, it's now like a 10 gang war because of all the different affiliations that they have created with each other. Again, these are not unintelligent people. The fact that they're able to organize themselves in this way, the fact that they can remember all of the like freaking rules and like things that distinguish them as the gang versus other ones, it's absolutely ridiculous. But at the heart of gangs and specifically, of course, like the violent ones, they are a negative for communities. And when you look at not only what they do to the civilians of the neighborhood, specifically the women in a neighborhood, it's definitely good as we're getting ready to go into that there has been a strong reaction from the law enforcement community against a culture of violence and social decay. I wanted to say real quick how I feel like gangs can really be like romanticized in our culture, whether it's in music or like a TV show like The Sopranos. We were talking about that before we recorded or like Scarface or The Godfather. Like these people, they're cool guys, even though like many people are like dying at the end of these movies, main characters included. There is like it's almost like something for people to aspire to. And I feel like sometimes people don't get the message being shown in these movies that like, this is like really not a cool lifestyle to lead. Right. It's like people have this mindset of, oh, well, I want to go out in a blaze of glory like they did. They might have had a really tragic ending. They might have died. But look at what their life was before that. And it kind of gets this height. And like you said, romanticization 
associated with it, which unfortunately is not something that I've really seen a change with. I think that if you still look at the majority way that gangs are portrayed, whether that be the mafia or different street gangs, I would say that especially for very young people, the impression is that, oh, this is not so bad. This is a life that I could get into. And they don't really know the realities of what they're actually agreeing to. Gangs are often associated with violence and law enforcement agencies have been fighting for decades to decrease gang violence. In the United States, the War on Gangs is a national movement to reduce gang-related activity, gang violence, and gang drug involvement on the local, state, and federal level. The War on Drugs is a multilateral approach as federal agencies seek to disrupt the cycle of violence through intervention with state police and social workers. Although many gang enforcement and policing tactics are carried out on a state-by-state basis, there are federal programs that aim to address the war on gangs. National agencies like the FBI, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, the United States Marshal Services, and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, or the ATF, have enacted programs that target gangs and gang-related activities at the federal level. The policing tactics implemented and aimed to disrupt, deter, and eliminate criminal street gang activity naturally varies from city to city and state to state, depending on the size of the problem as well as the laws. However, the advancement of counterinsurgency technologies and strategies proven effective in militarized zones such as Iraq and Afghanistan has provided authorities with new ways to fight the war on gangs in America. Several scholars suggest that alternative methods should be implemented in order to fight against the war on gangs, including the development of community-based outreach programs instead of continuing to arrest potential gang members. A Gang Intelligence Unit, or GIU, also known as an anti-gang unit, gang suppression unit, gang task force, or simply a gang unit, among many other terms, is an American law enforcement unit tasked with investigating, suppressing, and combating gangs within a geographical location. They exist to provide safety as well as information regarding gang activity in an area and are also commonly found within correctional facilities. GIU seek advanced awareness of gang activity as a method to suppress gang violence. Intelligent forms the foundation of GIU's effort to suppress gang activity and crime and maintain safety within the community. In 1967, the Chicago Police Department created a gang intelligence unit, GIU, to respond to black street gangs. Raids and arrests were conducted, and by the early 1970s, Illinois prisons had a growing black gang population, including gang leader Jeff Fort, co-founder of the almighty Black Peacestone Nation. The survey counted a total of 23,388 youth gangs and 664,906 gang members, and concluded that many gangs were growing in size. Further studies by the Denver Youth Study and the Rochester Youth Development Study determined that consistent conclusions existed between gang membership and crime, and that being in a gang increases the level of delinquent and criminal behavior as well as violent offending. These findings prompted the formation of gang units within police departments as many began to realize that gangs should be treated differently than other groups of criminal offenders. 
However, by the new millennium, the number of GIUs in the country was a fraction of what it was in the early 1990s. In 1993, 76% of all major police departments implemented a GIU, while by 2000, only 48% of all large departments had a GIU. GIUs also face several challenges with curbing gang activity, distinguishing between quote-unquote gang-related crime and quote-unquote gang-motivated crime can be difficult, though it is an important distinction for GIUs to make. However, a lack of historic data on gang activity can compound the difficulties GIUs already face. The mobility and ease of communication among gang members also presents challenges for these units and gangs and are constantly evolving in response to the actions of law enforcement. One of the greatest tools law enforcement has to fight rise against gangs is the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, or RICO. RICO is a United States federal law that provides for extended criminal penalties and a civil cause of action for acts performed as part of an ongoing criminal organization. RICO was enacted by Title IX of the Organized Crime Control Act of 1970. It was signed into law by U.S. President Richard Nixon. Prosecutors in the 1970s used it to prosecute the mafia as well as others who were actively engaged in organized crime. In later years, prosecutors have applied the law more broadly. Since 1972, 33 states have adopted state RICO laws. Under RICO, a person who has committed, quote, at least two acts of racketeering activity and, quote, drawn from a list of 35 crimes, 27 federal and eight state crimes within a 10-year period can be charged with racketeering if such acts are related in one of four specified ways to a, quote, unquote, enterprise. Those found guilty of racketeering can be fined up to $25,000 and sentenced to 20 years in prison per racketeering count. In addition, the racketeer must forfeit all ill-gotten gains and interest in any business gained through a pattern of quote-unquote racketeering activity. A U.S. attorney who indicts someone under RICO has the option of seeking a pretrial restraining order or an injunction to temporarily seize a defendant's assets and prevent the transfer of potentially forfeitable property, as well as to require the defendant to put up a performance bond. An injunction or performance bond ensures that there is something to seize in the event of a guilty verdict. This provision prevented the owners of mafia-related shell corporations to hide assets. In many cases, the threat of a RICO indictment can force defendants to plead guilty to lesser charges, in part because the seizure of assets would make it difficult to pay for a defense attorney. Despite its harsh provisions, a RICO-related charge is considered easy to prove in court because it focuses on patterns of behavior as opposed to criminal acts. During the 1980s and the 1990s, federal prosecutors used the law to bring charges against several mafia figures. In 1985, United States Attorney and future New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani indicted 11 organized crime figures in United States versus Anthony Salerno et al., also known as the Mafia Commission trial. Under the RICO Act, Giuliani charged the head of New York's so-called five families with extortion, labor racketeering, and murder for hire. Time magazine 
called the quote-unquote case of cases, possibly, quote, the most significant assault on the infrastructure of organized crime since the high command of the Chicago Mafia was swept away in 1943, end quote. And quoted Giuliani's stated intention, quote, our approach is to wipe out the five families, end quote. Under the law, the meaning of racketeering activity is set out and as currently amended, it includes... Any violation of state statutes against gambling, murder, kidnapping, extortion, arson, robbery, bribery, dealing in obscene matter, or dealing in a controlled substance or listed criminal as defined in the Controlled Substances Act. Any act of bribery, counterfeiting, theft, embezzlement, fraud, dealing in obscene matter, obstruction of justice, slavery, racketeering, gambling, money laundering, commission of murder for hire, and many other offenses covered under the federal criminal code. Embezzlement of union funds, bankruptcy fraud or securities fraud, drug trafficking, long-term and elaborate drug networks can also be prosecuted under the Continuing Criminals Enterprise Statute, which we'll talk about more later. Criminal, copyright, infringement, money laundering, and related offenses, bringing in, aiding, or assisting aliens in illegal entering the country if the action was for financial gain and acts of terrorism. Although the RICO laws may cover drug trafficking crimes in addition to other more traditional RICO Predicate acts such as extortion, blackmail, and racketeering, large-scale and organized drug networks are now commonly prosecuted under the Continuing Criminal Enterprise Statute, also known as the quote-unquote Kingpin Statute. The CCE is a United States federal law that targets large-scale drug traffickers who are responsible for long-term and elaborate drug conspiracies. The Continuing Criminal Enterprise laws target only traffickers who are responsible for the long-term elaborate conspiracies, whereas the RICO law covers a variety of organized criminal behaviors. The sentence for a first CCE conviction is a mandatory minimum of 20 years imprisonment with a maximum of life imprisonment, a fine of not more than $2 million, and the forfeiture of profits and any interest in the enterprise. Under the so-called super kingpin provision added as subsection B to the CCE statute in 1984, a person convicted of being a principal, administrator, organizer, or leader of a criminal enterprise that either involves a large amount of narcotics, at least 300 times the quantity that would trigger a five-year mandatory minimum sentence for possession or generates a large amount of money, at least $10 million in gross receipts, during a single year must serve a mandatory life sentence. Anyone engaging in a continuing criminal enterprise who intentionally kills a person or causes an intentional killing may be sentenced to death. Probation, parole, and suspension of the sentence are prohibited. Jenny, what are your thoughts on the different ways law enforcement have tried to combat gangs? It's good to see and it's interesting it's very complex and I, I guess more like nuanced than I thought. And I think part of why it is so difficult is because like we said, a lot of these organized crime groups or gangs, whatever you want to say, like they can still like fully function and be fine while someone is in prison. And like we said, there are straight up just like just prison gangs or like people get affiliated when they're in prison. So I feel like going about like, arresting people and then like knowing what to do with them like once they're there making it you know difficult for them to like keep this going is probably very hard and like they really got to be like on the ball with what is going on within these different groups and one step ahead of them because I think it 
is probably pretty easy for the, you know, gangs to evolve. We mentioned community development quickly. I do think that that for some, like probably more so like street gangs versus like the five families in New York community development would be more helpful in combating gangs, really just, and maybe even with like, not necessarily community development, but like prison gangs, like giving people opportunity to like learn skills in prison so that when they're out, you know, they have more opportunities and they have, you know, something to do while they're incarcerated, I think is probably pretty impactful. I would like to hear maybe a little bit more about like, if there's any studies or numbers on that. It's interesting to hear everything that the government has to go to combat and like dismantle these families and these groups because it is just like it just seems like a never-ending kind of thing what do you think I agree it's like a game of whack-a-mole as soon as it seems like you have this area under control you know something else pops up this happened in Chicago where a lot of the older gang members, specifically the gangster disciples and black disciples, they put a lot of the leaders in jail. They tore down the buildings thinking, okay, this will help us solve the Chicago gang problem. Um, And it didn't. It just led to the disruption in the childhood of a lot of other people in the city as they were shifting around to different projects and then you just have a new crop of gang members that have come up specifically if you look at Parkway Gardens which is one of the main vectors for gang violence within Chicago. I think that you know one of the biggest challenges is of course just the sheer number of individuals that are in a gang and the fact that you you know while at the same time, you want to make sure that you're protecting their rights, you know, their right to due process. You also want to be tough and you want to make sure that this is not something where you're going to have to keep re-prosecuting the same individual. I think that gang intelligence units and their kind of rise and fall is also an interesting aspect. It definitely seems like one of those no-brainers. Like, okay, if you have a gang problem, why wouldn't you have a gang unit? But it just doesn't seem like in the way they actually implemented it, that it was something that was actually worthwhile and worth probably the millions of dollars that these uh, police departments were putting into it. When it comes to Rico and the Kingpin statue, honestly, I love them. I think that you definitely have to find a way to make sure that every piece of the puzzle, every person that either benefited from the gang activity, uh, like the boss, and people who may have, uh, you know, multiple layers in it or, well, they just committed, you know, this crime, but in them committing that one crime, they enabled other crimes to happen. We need to have some way of addressing that. And I think that's what Rico and the Kingpin statue does. And it's something where I think that it becoming more known in kind of like the public nomenclature has also helped because people are more able, they're able to easily identify 
I think. You know, what activities go into a gang? It's not this, you know, just abstract, oh, gang violence thing. They can actually look as them. They can look at activities and say, oh, okay, well, they're committing this. I know that they're a gang. Um, And hopefully that will lead to more individuals willing to work with the police. Also, when you look at federal laws, there's a lot more protection for witnesses, which I think is also a benefit. There's only so much a city and state can do. And so the federal government being involved through the Kingpin Statue in Rico, I think, has been probably the biggest law enforcement development in tackling gangs. And they continue to do it. If you look at the Rico case that is going on against Young Thug, who is a very successful rapper, who allegedly continued to be the leader of a gang. And they're using the state Rico statues to, you know, try to make sure that that doesn't continue. There are many genres of rap music. Originating in New York City, it is now one of the most popular forms of music with an estimated value of over $10 billion. There is rap based on geography like East Coast or West Coast rap, horrorcore, which mixes horror movies with music and one of the popular genres, and one of the popular genres, gangster rap. Another genre that comes out of the southern U.S. is trap music, trap being a name to describe drug dealing. When you combine the sound of trap music and the lyrics of gangster music, you get drill music. Drill music originated in Chicago in the 2010s. Early drill music is characterized with violent lyrics and a confrontational style of delivery. It's been associated with the Chicago crime scene, especially the beef between the Black Disciples and the Gangster Disciples. The genre progressed into the American mainstream in 2012 following the success of pioneering rappers like Chief Keef, Lil Reese, Lil Durk, Fredo Santana, G. Erbo, and Lil Bibby. Other rappers such as L.A. Capone, Rondo No. 9, S.D., F.B.G. Duck, and Lil Jojo also contributed to the early drill scene. After the initial momentum of the subgenre subsided, Chicago drill saw a resurgence in the late 2010s and early 2020s with trailblazing artists such as King Von, Polo G, Callboy, and a renewed Lil Durk. Elsewhere, regional subgenres of drill music have gained mainstream popularity. The subgenre of UK drill has influenced regional scenes around the world, including Brooklyn drill, which also gained mainstream popularity in the late 2010s and early 2020s with artists like Pop Smoke and Fivio Foreign. Chief Keef in particular is considered the primary popularizer of drill music responsible for bringing it to the mainstream. In 2011 and 2012, he recorded multiple singles, including Love Sosa, I Don't Like, and Bang, which became viral hits. The lyrics of Drill tend to be wary and callous. The Guardian's Lucy Stelic said, quote, Nihilistic Drill reflects real life where its squeaky clean hip-hop counterparts have failed, end quote. Drill lyrics typically reflect life on the streets and tend to be gritty, violent, realistic, and nihilistic. Drill rappers use a grim, deadpan delivery. Chief Keefe said that his simplistic flow is a conscious, stylistic choice, saying, quote, I know what I'm doing. I mastered it. And I don't even really use metaphors or punchlines, because I don't have to. But I could. I think that's doing too much. I'd rather just say what's going on right now. I don't really like metaphors or punchlines like that, end quote. Critics have noted drill rappers' lack of concern with metaphors or wordplay. Drillers tend to be young. 
Many prominent musicians in the scene started getting attention while still in their teens. Chief Keefe was signed when he was 16 to a multi-million dollar record deal with Interscope. And in an extreme example, Lil Wayne co-signed the 13-year-old driller Lil Mouse. A profile on the scene in the New York Times examined the genre's aggression. Quote, with rare exception, this music is unmediated and raw and without bright spots, focused on anger and violence. The instinct is to call this tough, unforgiven, and concrete hard music joyless, but in truth is exuberant in its darkness. Most of its practitioners are young and coming into their own creatively against a backdrop of outrageous violence in Chicago, particularly among young people. Dozens of teenagers have been killed in Chicago this year and often related to gangs. That their music is a symphony of ill-tempered threats shouldn't be a surprise, end quote. David Drake of Complex said drill is not defined by any particular production style, but, quote, is about the entirety of the culture, the lingo, the dances, the mentality, and the music. Much of it, which originated in Drill City, a gang-defined territory of city blocks in the Woodlawn neighborhood, end quote. And street slang, quote-unquote, drill means to fight or retaliate, and, quote, can be used for anything from females getting dialed up to all-out war in the streets, end quote. In 2002, some people, including New York City Mayor Eric Adams, connected the pro-gun content of the genre to real-world gun violence on the streets of New York and other major cities. Given the violence surrounding a number of drill artists who have been killed, such as Tadat Wu, Pop Smoke, Chai was and gun violence victim Naz Blinky. A shooting by alleged attempted murderer C. Blue, who is signed to Interscope Records, also gave rise to concerns, echoing the 1990s era gangster rap controversy. In September 2022, the New York Police Department removed local drill artists from Rolling Loud Festival, allegedly due to concerns of public safety. The police chief was concerned that the rappers would incite violence. While these reactions may seem extreme, drill music is known as a way artists disrival gang members, dis the murder members of rival gangs, and ultimately profit from gang affiliations. This has led to prosecutors frequently using rap lyrics when prosecuting rap artists as seen in the Young Thug Rico case. Jenny, what are your thoughts on drill music? And do you think there should be limitations on the lyrics of rap or any other musical artists? I've never heard of drill music, so this is new to me. Um, I do know some of the rappers that we talked about. I don't know if I know a single song by any of them, but I'm definitely going to listen to see. Um, it sounds like it might not be my favorite kind of rap music. I do like a little more wordplay, but I respect what Chief Keef said about like, I'm just going to tell it to you straight. Like, this is what I want to this is my style and you know there's nothing wrong with that i don't necessarily tend to like i guess like violence in music unless maybe there's like some kind of story to it but i don't know i'll see and i'll report back if anyone <laughs> is interested i think it, the idea of using lyrics as evidence is really interesting and i mean i feel like it's okay to do that i guess there's always the like i said like there's always I guess the risk of like, well, I was just like telling a story. This isn't really my real experience. But I guess if there's like evidence enough to show 
yeah, this is actually your experience. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I feel like maybe we'll see that a little more going forward, you know, lyrics being used in people's trials. I guess it's kind of sad to see that like people venues are maybe like on alert with drill artists because it tends to maybe bring out some violence in crowds or like a a mindset that makes people more, maybe more hyped up and like on edge in crowds. And like, we kind of ended with this uh, about using lyrics to like diss dead people. I think that's really rotted um, and a, a gross thing to do. I do not like that. But as for, should there be limitations on the lyrics of rap or anyone else? I don't think so. It's interesting. I feel like this kind of comes up, this like, I guess like a censorship sort of argument. I feel like every decade, I guess like the most famous one is like rap with two live crew and getting the, um, the parental advisory sticker on the CDs. I guess that was like the late 80s. I think people do generally agree, like just let people sing or write about what they want. And if it is maybe inappropriate, that parental advisory or the explicit sticker can go on the album or, you know, on Spotify, whatever, just because maybe I don't agree or like uh, what some people are singing about saying, including in their music. I don't think it should be limited. I think people can like make their own decisions about if they want to listen to it or if they think it's appropriate to put in their music, because there is plenty of music that I do think is like vile and too much for me. And I don't want to listen to it. And those people are just like not on my radar and I can happily go about my life and find other music I enjoy and find another, a battle, choosing another battle to have, I guess. What are your thoughts? I'm the same way where drill rap is not, something that I really listened to. I was honestly introduced to it when I started watching Trapdoor Ross and he was doing different videos on like the Chicago gang war and, you know, other kind of music focused things. And that's the first time I really heard it. And I was just like, I, okay, this is, you know, this is something that is new to me. I was used to like gangster rap and trap music. I feel like drill music takes it to that kind of another level, not necessarily good or bad, but just like you said, just not my thing, uh, not the way that I typically enjoy music. And it goes back to a point that you brought up where the fact that they are dissing dead people like it's one thing to diss someone who is alive a rival gang member that's existed in rap for probably as long as rap has been a thing right you know using your wordplay and your flow to boost yourself up and you know talk about why you're better than another person but the fact that it seems like being disrespectful to deceased individuals is something that Drill is really known for. It's definitely concerning, especially since in addition to it just being very disrespectful, it also perpetuates the continuing gang violence because now it's not just a thing of, oh, that person disrespected me. It's, oh, now that person disrespected my deceased relative, my deceased friends. And again, it's just a cycle of violence that 
drill music really is involved in, especially when you look at the case in Chicago, where a lot of those people that you named are known gang members. A couple of them have either been killed due to their gang affiliation, such as FBG Duck and Lil Jojo. And you have Rondo Number 9, who is currently in prison because of a gang-related situation. So Again, not my type of music, but when we go to the question of limitations, I agree with you. No one is forcing you to listen to it. And so if it's not your thing, I think you should just find something else to listen to. I don't think that we should have any restrictions on how someone presents their art. It's their art. You can again, agree with it or disagree with it, but I don't think that we should uh, be blocking it because it's always the question of, well, whose moral line wins? And, you know, how do we determine that? I think that's a really complicated question that doesn't have any really good answers. So with that, let's not put any limitations on it. When it comes to the question of, you know, using rap lyrics in criminal trials, I think that's okay. I think that is your own words. And if you are, you know, simple-minded enough where you are essentially self-snitching in your music and you're using your music to glorify the specifics of a crime that you or your other gang members have committed, well, then tough shit, honestly. I think that prosecutors, them making it known that they're going to be using rap lyrics, hopefully gives a clue to rappers that maybe you ought not to self-snitch in your music. I mean, of course, you shouldn't commit crimes anyway, but the fact that you add on self-snitching in music and also on social media, you're going to get what you deserve. And yeah, I have no problem with rap lyrics, you know, being used to put criminals in jail. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the crimes and the murders of King Von, Pop Smoke, and Young Dolph. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. As always, stay safe.